Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. This is Jonah, and he's overboard. A few minutes ago, he was up here with these guys, but they threw him into the sea. To understand why, let's back up. Jonah was a prophet. He got messages from God and delivered them to people. God will restore our land. Everything was fine until God gave him this message. In 40 days, you will be destroyed. Jonah didn't like the message, and he really didn't like Nineveh. So he did what any of us might do when confronted with the clear, unchanging will of an all-powerful God. He ran. He ran in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he didn't stop at the sea. He kept going on this boat with these guys. Until they realized that Jonah was the cause of this horrible storm that tossed their ship, and they tossed him overboard. That's when Jonah met the very big fish. Oh, Jonah. That's what we're talking about today, guys, the story of Jonah. Well, welcome. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director here at Faith Bridge, and I am excited that we're talking about Jonah's story today. Um, Jonah's story is going to show us the depths of God's love. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and take those out. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. The ushers are coming forward. If you don't have a Bible and you need one today, raise your hand. They'll be happy to give you one. If you don't have a Bible, take this one home as our gift to you. Now, let me just give you a warning uh, here as you start looking for the book of Jonah, and I hear the pages start to rustle. Uh, Jonah's story is only four chapters, four small chapters in the Old Testament, which generally is only one page in your Bible. And it is in probably, you know, this popular section that you usually read in the Minor Prophets, right between probably your two most well-read books, Obadiah and Micah. So it's really super easy to find. So if you don't find it, you know, resort to the table of contents and you'll get there. Um, So go ahead and take a look and start turning to those. I cannot wait for us to talk about uh, Jonah today. So I want to tell you about my twin boys. When they were little, we knew every play space in the Houston area. If it had a slide, a jungle gym, a trampoline, anything that I could use to get their energy and wildness out, we were there. And I remember this one time when they were little, this new play space opened in Houston down in the loop and we were so excited to go. It was this huge warehouse and it had this labyrinth of tunnels uh, and climbing apparatus. It had ropes, it had all kinds of things you could jump on and foam pits and pedal cars. It was awesome. And so we went that day and the boys, they laughed, they giggled, they jumped, they went down the slides over and over again until I thought that they would just fall out. And we had the best day until mom uttered the dreaded words, it's time to go home. 
Yep, if you have toddlers, you know how that goes. One fell out on the floor in a total tantrum, but the other one ran. He ran up into the labyrinth, he went through the tunnels, and he tucked himself up into the tiniest corner he could find, and he refused to come down. And so I thought, you know what, he's like two. How long could he possibly stay in this thing? And so we waited. And about 10 minutes into the standoff, there was no signs of surrender. So I thought, well, I'm just gonna result to some parenting strategies here. So I started with threatening. You know how it sounds. Get your behind down here right now or else. He was clearly not afraid. So then when threatening doesn't work, what's the next thing that we parents resort to? Bribes, yep, bribes. I was like, if you will come down, we'll get some candy on the way home, it'll be so fun. Nope, couldn't have cared less about candy. So then I tried another one, the whole, we're leaving without you, bye, see you later, nice to know you, hope you enjoy that new family who takes you home. Not scared at all. And I realized it was evident that he had left me with one choice. I had to go in after him. And here I am, this educated woman in my 30s, and I am taking off my shoes and getting ready to climb through this thing on my hands and knees to go chase my defiant, disobedient toddler. Oh, and he didn't make it easy on me either. I would crawl towards him and he would run. And he would see me coming and I would crawl and he would run. And there was this one point when I was literally like army crawling on my face, on my elbows through this tiny little tunnel that smelled like sweat and kids' feet, <laughs> that I thought, this is part of the job that I never signed up for. And I wonder if God feels that way about us when we go in directions far from what he had in mind for us, and he has to come after us. That is what we're talking about today in the story of Jonah. Now, Jonah's story is a popular story. It has influenced movies and music and books and pop culture. The story of the guy who ran away and got swallowed by a fish. And it's easy, it's simple to be tempted to think that Jonah is a, it's a child's tale. It's a beloved and familiar tale. But Jonah's story is so much more than that. We're gonna to see today that Jonah's story is our story. Jonah's story profoundly reveals who we are and who God is. Jonah's story shows us the tendencies we have to run away and how far God will go to bring us back. The deeper that we go into the story of Jonah, the deeper we look into our own hearts and the deeper we will come to know the depths of God's love for us. So let's get started. So here's what we know about Jonah. Now Jonah was not an unknown prophet in his day. In fact, Jonah had experienced something that was quite rare for an Old Testament prophet, success. We know from 2 Kings 14, 25, that he foretold positive developments for his people, the Israelites. During the reign of King Jeroboam II, the nation grew in strength, fortified its borders, and saw the most prosperous time since King Solomon. And Jonah, 
He gets the credit. He was the guy who saw it coming. He got the word from the Lord. He took it to the king. The king responded, and it all came to fruition. Jonah was a hometown hero. He was famous. And now I'm not exactly sure what a famous prophet did back in the days of the Old Testament, but I imagine that they uh, sat at Starbucks, you know, and worked on writing their testimony, their blog, their books, maybe worked a talk show circuit, telling people about the success that they've had. It was probably quite a nice, comfortable, and secure life. But God had another call for Jonah, and that's where our story is going to pick up today. We'll start reading in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach against the Assyrians. And I wonder if Jonah thought maybe God had dialed the wrong number. Because you see, an Old Testament prophet had a primary job, and that job was to deliver messages from God to God's chosen people, the Israelites. And now from time to time, God would give a word for them to preach against neighboring powers, against the enemies that surrounded them, but to be sent to one of those nations, to be called to go preach to them, completely and entirely out of the job description. And from Jonah's perspective, this was an outrageous assignment. Jonah was a Jew, and Jews hated the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the enemies of Israel, and the entire history of Assyria is marked with violence, torture, killing, a reign of terror. And Nineveh was the capital city of evil. Asking Jonah to travel to Nineveh to preach against the Assyrians would have been like asking a Jew to go to Berlin during World War II and preach to the Nazis. Or maybe in our context today, asking him to go to Syria and preach against ISIS. This would be the most challenging assignment of Jonah's life. What will our successful prophet do when he gets the call from God. Let's pick it up in verse three. It says, but Jonah. So you see right here, if there's a but by your name in the Bible, it's not usually a great indicator uh, that you're gonna do what's expected of you. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah hangs up the phone and he runs. He goes down to the marina, he buys a ticket, he gets on the boat and he goes to Tarshish. I'm not even sure if Jonah knew where Tarshish was, but it sounded really far from God and so that's where he's going. Sounds like a great place to run to. Now, I know that there are people in this world who enjoy running. Our family is not particularly one of those families, which is indicated by this one time when we were driving in our car and we drove past a woman jogging on the sidewalk and one of my kids said, hey mom, what's that lady running from? <laughs> I said, well, son, some people run for their health, some people run for endurance, some people run to lose weight, some people I think actually enjoy running. I run if there's a fire. Could follow me. 
We all have our reasons for running, and Jonah had his reasons for running too. And it says right here in the passage that it tells us that Jonah is fleeing the presence of God, and it tells us twice. And when the Bible uses repetitive language, it's telling us to pay attention. Look up. This is important. It's stressing something to us. It is stressing to us that this is more than just about more than just the call to Nineveh. This is about more than just running from the assignment that God has given us. Jonah isn't just running from what God asked him to do. He's running from his relationship with God. He's running from God's authority in his life. And Jonah, of all people, should know that you can't run away from God. His presence is everywhere. There's nowhere that we can go that his spirit can't find us. But here's Jonah, this well-seasoned prophet who knows the truth about God, and he runs anyway. And that's why I love Jonah, because he's so relatively human. Because if I'm honest, I can see a lot of Jonah in me. I know what it's like to run from God. We all know what it's like to run from God. For honest, we can all say that we want to run from God, that that our way is better. We all know what it's like to choose our own way. And so sure, maybe God hasn't asked you to do something as big or as hard as what he asked Jonah to do. But I know this, all obedience to God is hard, no matter how big or how small. In Herman Melville's book, Moby Dick, which draws its inspiration from the story of Jonah, there's a scene where an elderly chaplain named Father Mapple delivers a sermon from the book of Jonah. The chaplain says, Jonah found God's instructions to be a hard command, but all things that God would have us do are hard. And the reason, he says, if we obey God, we must disobey God ourselves. And it is in the disobeying of ourselves that lies the hardness in obeying God. To obey God, we have to disobey ourselves. And Jonah's story, it reveals what's true about our own hearts. We all want to make ourselves God. We all want to be the one who calls the shots. We want to dethrone God as Lord of our life, the one who's in control, the one who's asking us to obey, the one who's asking us to do the hard things and enthrone ourselves. We all want to go our own way. And it's the sin from the beginning of time, from the fall, when Adam and Eve chose their own way over God and entered into the rebellion against God. It's this internal battle that we fight. And I relate to the way that C.S. Lewis says it when he says, I want to own my own soul. That is the inner struggle that we fight in our flesh. Is it God's way or our way? So I grew up in the church and went almost every Sunday, but I struggled with my view of God. I saw God as this sort of angry, distant dictator who had a lot of rules that I felt were impossibly hard to follow. And I inevitably would fail and I would disappoint him. I felt like I couldn't earn his approval and that his love was conditional. 
And I didn't understand what it meant to have a relationship with God. And by the time I was 18, honestly, I didn't want one. And I left for college, and I was thankful to close that chapter of my life. I was done with God. I was done with church. And it felt great. It felt like freedom. And so I gave myself over to this freedom when I was in college, and nothing was out of bounds. I did what I wanted, when I wanted it, with little concern for anything else. I found this group of friends that I thought for the first time in my life uh, accepted me, and we were sort of on the same trajectory, looking for good parties, good drugs, good times, good weekends, and that is all that mattered, was our pursuit of happiness and the next good party. And I'm going to tell you this. When we decide to disobey God, there is always a boat going to Tarshish. Satan is always happy to take over and provide transportation when we decide that we're done with God. And I wonder, do you think, did Jonah rationalize his disobedience or feel relief that when he got down to the marina, the boat was there and his plan just all came together so quickly? Jonah's story shows us how quickly our rebellious footsteps can take us away from God. Jonah went from being seasoned, well-versed, successful prophet to runaway rebel in a day. No matter how long we've been following Jesus, whether we are a mature believer and we've been following him for years, or whether we are brand new at following Jesus, obedience is hard. And when we give ourselves permission to disobey God, it is a downward slippery slope and descent. And so I want to ask you today, if you were to look in your heart, do you see a little of Jonah? Is there something that you're running from? Has God asked you to do something and you're headed the other way? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a person, and God is calling you to forgive or to reconcile, and you're looking for a boat headed the other way. Or maybe it's a place or a person that God is calling you to serve, and you're running the other way. Or maybe it's a sin or a pattern of behavior that God is calling you into confession and accountability and you are headed in the other direction. Are you running? And what would it take for you to stop running? That's what we're going to see right here in Jonah's story. Let's pick it up in verse 4. But the Lord... So we had but Jonah, and now we're going to see God's response. (laughs) But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, 
let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where did you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from raging. And then the men, they feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah's path were downward. It led him down to Marino, down to the bottom of the ship, down to the bottom of the sea, and into the belly of a well. Jonah's disobedience has landed him right in the middle of a ferocious storm. And I want you to listen to this. I want you to hear me. I want to make sure that we're clear about this part. There are some storms in our life that just happen as a result of the fallen, broken world that we live in. Cancer. The loss of a pregnancy or an infant. These are things that remind us that this world is not and our bodies are not how God intended it to be. There are some storms that you'll find yourself in as a result of someone else's disobedience. The mariners in this story, they had no clue what they were getting themselves into when Jonah bought a ticket to their ship. And now they find themselves in the middle of this huge, ferocious storm through no fault of their own, through Jonah's disobedience. They are all caught up in it. And you might be here today, and you might can relate to that. You're caught up in the storm of a loved one's bad choices, of a friend's bad choices, and you can feel the craziness of the storm around you. But Jonah's story makes it clear that there are some storms that God hurls or sends our way because of our disobedience. Jonah is in a storm of his own creating. God sent this storm after Jonah. And here's our runaway prophet. He's asleep while the storm is raging around him. And the captain of the ship comes to him and says, why are you sleeping? And that's the question I have today too. Jonah, how could you be sleeping in the middle of this storm in a time like this? 
It's kind of like when my husband and I get into like a really bad argument right before bedtime, and then he can just fall in the bed sound asleep without a care in the world while I just lay over there fuming, angry. I'm like, how can you be sleeping at a time like this? Anybody else? No? Just me? Okay, great. I work on that. <laughs> I'm sure Jonah is tired, what with all of this running that he's been doing. But could it be something more? Could it be Jonah's ability to sleep through the storm is an indicator of his spiritual state? Could it be that Jonah is so content in his decision to run away from God and his disobedience that he is completely unaware of the danger that he is in, that he is numb to what is happening around him? We all have justifications that we tell ourselves to keep ourselves from seeing how far we've fallen from God. We sleep through warning signals, we ignore convictions, we don't see the signs that God is placing in our life to show us that we're headed down the wrong path. We make decision after decision, wondering what the chaos around us is all about. Surely it couldn't be our fault. We can be spiritually asleep to the dangerous path that we're headed down. And we don't wake up until the storm comes until we're thrown overboard. Or for some of us, it's not until we are in the bottom of the sea, in the belly of a fish, that we will finally look up to God and say, how did I get here? So this group of friends I had in college, this crew that I was running with, one of the things that we enjoyed doing was following these, these bands, these jam bands. It's kind of part of the culture there. You would party and you would follow them. Um, and so I graduated from college and I got a job and I was living with sort of my foot in this adult, has a job, needs to grow up and be in the real world life. And my other foot still in the partying, late night band following culture. And it was beginning to take a toll on me. I was exhausted and run down. And I remember this one weekend where it just sort of started spiraling out of control. It was in the middle of the spiral. I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. I had a new apartment and I got a new car with my first job, and I loved it. Well, one weekend, a favorite band came in town for a three-night stint, and so my old crew, carloads of them, all loaded up to come to Raleigh to stay with me for the weekend, and it, wasn't, it didn't go well. My apartment was trash. There was all kinds of things going on, uh, but it was the third night when something happened that I still, to this day, am not exactly sure how it went. So I drove to the concert on the third night in my new car, and there were these two guys that rode with me, and I kind of knew them. They were friends or friends, but they needed a ride, so they rode with me. And I remember that I was going into the concert when they came up and said that they had left something in the car and they needed my keys. I gave them my keys, I went into the concert, show started, had a great time, never thought about it again until it was over. 
and I was walking out of the concert, beginning to think about my keys and trying to figure out, put things together, when I got to the parking lot, and there's my car. All four doors are open, and there's this crowd of people standing around it. And I don't know how it happened, and the guys who lost my keys had no explanation, but it appeared that a fight of some kind had broken out in my car because the damage was from the inside out. The interior was shredded, the gear shift was broken off, panels were kicked in, there, it was undrivable. And now the last thing, the worst thing to have to do after one of these concerts is to talk to the police. But I had to file a report. And so most of my friends abandoned me and I was alone in a police car and I was trying to piece together the night and what had happened. And he was very kind and patient with me. And when we got done, he said, I'm not sure what a nice young woman like you is doing mixed up in a crowd like this. But if it was my daughter, I would want you to know you need new friends. This is a dangerous crowd that you are running with. And this is not going to lead you down a good path. I rode home that night with the AAA driver. And when I got back to my apartment, he let me out. And I was walking through the breezeway. And I could hear the sounds of the party happening in my apartment with little concern to what had happened, little concern to me. And I just felt the weight (laughs) crushing me, just crashing down on me, the weight of all my choices and all my running. And I began to cry, and I sat down on the floor outside of the apartment, and I said to God, why? Why is this happening to me, God? This can't be what life is about. There has to be more than this. And it was that night that it was the first time in years that I acknowledged that God might still be there. And it was the first time since I was a little girl that I wanted him to be there. You see, my so-called freedom, my choosing my own way over God's way, my running had led me down a dark and dangerous path. But God loved me too much to let me go. He came after me and he pursued me to great lengths. And when I was in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the battle for my soul, it was hard and it was dark. But I look back at those storms and I thank God for them. If there hadn't been the storms, I might not be here. I'm thankful that God didn't turn me over to myself and just let me go. I am grateful that for every part of my story that starts but Luann, there is a but God. We can run. We can mess things up. But we cannot outrun God's love. He is relentless in his pursuit of us. He will go to great lengths for us. You see this storm that he sent after Jonah? It wasn't a punishment for Jonah's disobedience. It was an intervention. 
He didn't want to take Jonah's life. He wanted to return it. He wants the best for us. And when we choose the worst, he doesn't leave us there. When we run away, he comes after us. He is relentless in his pursuit of us. Because of his great love, he will go to any length. He will send a broken car. He will send a storm. He will send a fish. He will spare no expense in his pursuit of us, not even his son, Jesus. The only person who concluded it every way that God's way is the right way and God's call is always right, even to the point of death. Because of his great love for us, Jesus died for us, all of us. We were all rebels on a run. And God in his love intervened in our lives and sent his son. And through this ultimate act of love, this sacrifice on the cross for us, he secured life for us, freedom and life. And because of him, we don't have to run. We don't have to go down the dark and dangerous path. He finished it for us. God loved Jonah, and he would have done anything to have him back. And God loves you too. And wherever you are today, if you're running, if you're hiding, if you're in the middle of a storm, God is there. And today, we have an opportunity to be in his presence, to draw near to him through prayer, to talk to him today. And so I want to take a few minutes before we leave just to come together and pray, just to sit in his presence and ask God to show us what are we running from, to show us what he's calling us to, and let us leave changed by his overwhelming love for us. Let's pray. God, it's so hard when you're in the middle of the storm to say thank you. But I thank you, God. I thank you for the storms that you send out of your love for us, God. God, I just want to pray right now. Just want to pray, and we just want to come into your presence, God, right there in your seat. Just take a moment and ask God, what are you calling me to? What am I running from? We know that Jonah was running from God's presence because it's in God's presence that he communicates with us, that we feel his love, but that we hear his voice and we hear. He can reveal to us the areas where we're not obeying, where we're choosing our own way. And so we want to confess those this morning. I confess, God, that I still have a tendency to run. And Father, we're so thankful that you come after us. And that you give us the forgiveness, God, and you give us an opportunity to turn around and to turn back to you. And I want to pray right now for anyone who is realizing that they have been running from God their whole life. And if that's you right now in the quiet of your heart, in your seat, I want you to tell God, I want to stop running. God, I want to surrender to you. Jesus, I want you to take over. I'm tired of running. My path has been destructive. I can't do this on my own. And God, I want you. 
Just say yes today. And God, I want to pray for anybody in here who finds themselves in a storm for whatever reason. Life feels hard. It feels like the ship is going to break. It feels like the waves continue to crash. God, I want to pray for your peace in the storm. I want to pray for in our storms, God, that we would turn to you and that you're in control no matter how out of control or chaotic it feels right now. And God, we, today, we just wanna praise you. We wanna praise you that your love is too far and too deep and too high for us to outrun. That your love knows no ends, it knows no bounds, it's overwhelming. It's like being in the middle of a storm the way you love us, with a fierceness. And so as we wrap up our prayer time, as we move to worship, God, we just wanna thank you and praise you for who you are and the love that you demonstrated on the cross. It's in your son's precious name we pray, amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, welcome to another edition of Postscript. I'm Dan Slagle, care and bridging pastor here at Faith Bridge, and today I am with Lou Ann Riley, who brought us a terrific message on the prophet Jonah, kicking off a three-part series right. on Jonah. Job well done. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, one question came in, which I, I think is a fairly common question mm -hmm. regarding not only Jonah, but many of the stories in the Old Testament. And... Uh, to give the uh, questioner um, his due, I'm going to read the whole thing. Okay, it's it's sure. a little lengthy. Yeah. In school, I learned how the Jews used parables and stories to illustrate their God, similar to Jesus. While Jonah was a real prophet, is this story a parable or considered factual? There is truth in it for sure, but I think stories like this have been defended as factual, thus turning away, thus turning people away from the Bible, seeing it as myths. Yeah. Well, I relate to the questioner because in my period of running from the church, I feel like I questioned everything about the Bible and everything about faith and, sure. and I could argue against all of it. Um, and so when I was preparing for Jonah and just really diving into a story and reading about it, um, that is one of the debates mm -hmm. um, among scholars and commentators. Um, I land in that Jonah is truth because it's in the Bible, but I find that there's a couple of indicators to me that sort of land me in that camp. Okay. And I believe the first one is that Jesus actually references Jonah's story mm -hmm. when he's here and he's teaching and he's teaching to the, uh, to the disciples and the Pharisees and he's, he says to them the sign of Jonah and he's referencing Jonah's story. He's talking about Jonah being the well for three days. Then we see Jesus be in the tomb for three days. I believe that that is pointing to the truth uh, that we find in Jonah's story and that it would have been a story that was familiar to those who were listening. But I think the second thing, and it's the reason that I believe I came around the corner when I stopped running and I finally turned back to God and everything changed for me. If I have a God 
who can raise someone from the dead. I mean, we saw it happen, Jesus do it, and then God raises Jesus. If he can raise Jesus from the dead, then I would believe that keeping Jonah alive for three days in a fish would not be beyond what my God can do. Um, And I think that if you approach the Bible without a relationship with Jesus or without the proper view of God, then those things do seem like they could be fairy tales or that they don't. How could you ever believe this? But when you have the right view of God and you understand just his presence and his Mm -hmm. bigness and that there's nothing, like he created the earth by just speaking it, it out, that there's nothing impossible for him. And so when you approach the Bible from a standpoint of this faith in a Jesus who died for us and who was risen from the dead, then I believe those stories fall more in line with who God is. Yeah, much like uh, the debate over the existence of God, uh, miracles such Mm -hmm. as this cannot be proved, but neither can they be disproved Mm -hmm. by the canons of logic or uh, the scientific method, either one. And so I think to a large extent, probably exclusively, it depends on your worldview. Mm -hmm. If your worldview disallows the possibility of the miraculous, then this is going to be a parable. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if your worldview permits the existence of a God who is over his creation and intervenes through the miraculous, then yeah, I would say this is probably pretty simple for for God to do. Yeah, good. Well, Great message to get us going. Uh, Next week, we pick up with the fish Mm -hmm. story. And uh, so uh, I'm sure it will continue to be a great series for all of us. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Postscript. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.